from a sermon last week on Matthew chapter 6. And um, Connor, there's a little feedback up here. It's a little hollow. So if you can work on that as I preach, that would be helpful. You can just make me sound better, which would be helpful to me. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Lord of the Rings, but there are little characters called hobbits in the Lord of the Rings, and they live in what's called Middle Earth in a place called the Shire. And... There's one of these hobbits, his name is Schmeagel, but his name sort of turns into Golem, and that's how you mostly know him through the movie. And he finds a, a ring that has incredible power, uh, but the ring has a problem, and that is once you possess it, it begins possessing you. And so you want the ring, everybody's fighting for the ring in some sense throughout the movie. But the problem, because is once you once you find the ring, once you hold on to the ring, the, the longer you hold on to it, the more it's actually got a hold of you. And one of the, the creepy parts about the movie, if you remember seeing it, if you saw it, you remember it, is how Schmeagel, who's this sort of cute little hobbit character, this small man, he turns into this sort of gargoyle-type person. And it's really creepy how he holds on to the ring. And you remember, he kind of has a whispery voice. And he, he always looks at the ring. Remember what he says? Precious. And you're just kind of like creeped out. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, 35 already. And it was creepy to me. <laughs> and so he's got a hold of this ring. And, and what happens is it's got a hold of him. And he keeps calling it precious like it's just, it's his life. He can't let go of it. The, the thing he longs to possess actually ends up possessing him. Andrew Carnegie, who was one of the richest men in American history, said pretty much the same thing, had the same observation about the pursuit of money. And this is what he says. As an idol, money has a power that can degrade you beyond the hope of permanent recovery. It, it has a, a distorting effect. The way your possessions end up possessing you. And I've seen that firsthand in my own family. In people that I know and love, what happens is that their possessions, or in some cases their lack of possessions, end up possessing them. And they become distorted. They're, not, they're really not the same kind of person because their possessions or maybe their lack of their possessions have begun to distort them and, and they act differently towards you or it distorts their whole family because their family is out of whack in its finances. And so a whole family begins to get crushed because parents can't really manage their finances. It happens with people who have debt whether it's student loans or credit card debts this this thing that they thought was helping them the thing that the very thing they were grabbing hold of if i could just have the new car if i could just have the new television if i could just have the new house if i could just have this education if i could just have 
and you reached out for something thinking that's going to be the answer. That's precious to me. And when I get it, everything's going to be solved. And the problem became is it began to possess you. And it began to crush you. And some of you have been in families this way. It began to crush your whole family because the possessions or the lack of possessions or the lack of the right stewardship of your possessions ended up becoming a crushing weight. And Jesus clearly understood this better than anybody. And he talks in here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, how these personal treasures have a blinding effect. And we don't even know about it. We talked about that last week. If you're here um, as a visitor today at Christ Community Church, it's helpful as we start this sermon for you to know that we're, our mission is to help develop mature and equipped believers for the kingdom of God. And we believe, because Jesus believes, that the, the, one of the central characteristics of a Christian, one of the authentic marks of somebody who calls themselves a Christian, is they're, they're a generous giver. And Jesus understands this, and we want to talk about it today very openly and honestly so that we have the marks ourselves. And great, we're greatly helped by this text, that in this text Jesus supplies several markers for us in handling our possessions. We might say, yeah, I need some help, and, but I, I need some very specific help. I need some markers. I need something very specific. I need a, a small list. And Jesus essentially gives us that list. And let's look in the text. He gives us three imperatives or what are called commands. Verse 33, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. So that's one of his commands. The, the thing you need to do is you need to seek first the kingdom of God. Verse, back in verse 19 and 20, he gives us another command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So do not lay up for yourselves. And instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves. So you need to seek first. That's one command. Another command is don't lay up for yourselves or do lay up for yourselves. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. And then in verse 25 in several places here that you heard Jeremy read, do not be anxious. So the three things that we want to talk about is first, what you need to do is that's to seek first. Then you don't want to lay up any treasures for yourself on earth, but you do want to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then finally, you don't want to be anxious. And the way I think about these three things is if you go out to uh, Snow's Cut, that's the, uh, the cut between the river and the sea down near Carolina Beach. It's the bridge you go over. When you go over to Carolina Beach, you're going over what's called Snow's Cut. And when if you were going towards Snow's Cut, or if you were coming up the river and you were coming towards Snow's Cut and you wanted to cut through towards the ocean, there's a, a lane that the, that, that the uh, Corps of Engineers wants you to drive your boat through. Because when you look, it looks like you can get any boat through the whole thing, but you know, hey, there's some shallow water or some rocks out there. And so that, what they've done is as you come up to the cut, they have what's called a range marker. And you can see it very clearly. It's way off in the distance. And you just need to have your nose towards the range marker. 
But they also know that you could come in from different angles and not be lined up to the range marker, even though your nose is on it. So in between you and the range marker, they have what are called two sight lines. And they look like lines. And what you do is you get your boat so that when you look at them, the lines line up. So if you're looking at the marker and your lines are like that, you're going to be running aground. You want your lines to line up. And so when I think about this text, I think of the range marker as being seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we're shooting for. But my question is, I I may be shooting for that, but how do I know I'm getting there? I might run aground in my effort to get there. I need two other more concrete sight lines for me to line up to say, okay, if I'm getting these sight lines right, then I'm probably going to hit the range mark. I'm not going to run aground. So we want to ask ourselves, how does that happen? Well, I want to talk first about this range marker, to seek first the kingdom of God. And notice these are all commands. Jesus is commanding that we have a priority in our seeking. He understands that when, you're, when you have a life, you're going to be seeking a lot of things, and plenty of them are good. You're going to be seeking a job. You're going to be seeking a home. You're going to be seeking an education. You might be seeking a spouse. There's all kinds of good things to be seeking, and he understands we're, going to, we're made to be seekers, and he wants us to understand that there's got to be a priority in our seeking, and that is seek first the kingdom of God. And in other words, all of your seeking embedded in your seeking needs to have a it needs to have a godward priority it's not just seek first and then do all your other seeking all of your seeking needs to have a a godward priority so if i go to my financial advisor and i say hey here's here's ten thousand dollars i'd like for you to invest i want to i want him to have a Paul Phillips priority on that $10,000. I want him to be using all of his best energies and all of his best skills and all of his knowledge to really increase my net value. I don't really want him to use all of his energies to increase his net value. When I come back, I'm going to say, hey, I gave you the 10000 Now, what have you done to increase my net worth and there needs to be a priority in his mind if i go to a financial advisor and i think you know i think the financial advisor's priority is him he's not going to be my financial advisor very long and we're like that we're the financial we're 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 the person that god has given ten thousand dollars to it might be money it might be time it might be talent and we need to ask ourselves, are, are we using, do we have a Godward priority with our time? Do we have a Godward priority with our talent? Do we have a Godward priority with our possessions? And we see the problem in a lot of places in Scripture, but the rich young ruler is probably the easiest one. Here is a, a young man who is very religious, a model citizen, but he had misplaced priorities. His possessions actually possessed him and so what happens is he comes to jesus and says i'm just i I feel like i'm doing it all right and i want to make sure i'm going to get clearance from you on it and he says to the rich young ruler you just have misplaced priorities and i want you to see it in the way you've been possessed by your possessions 
And he says, hey, if you just could sell all that stuff that's really your possession, that's really your God, then you can come follow me and you could have the real treasure that's going to last forever. And sadly, the rich young ruler, at least at this point, he walks away. Isn't it amazing? The rich young ruler did so many things well. He just had one little weak spot. But the weak, that one little weak spot caused him to miss the treasure. That's what Jesus was saying in verse 22 and 23. You could have one little blind spot. And you could say, but Paul, I'm getting all this other stuff right. And Jesus would say, but this one little blind spot is causing you to miss the whole thing. So don't have that blind spot. When you have the range marker in sight, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to come along at some point and ask you, let's, let's look at the sight line of your money. And if your sight line of how you use your money is off, then you're going to know you're off course. And I want to spend most of our time just talking about these two sight lines because we can... Think about seeking first the kingdom of God, having a Godward priority, but that seems a little uh, too far away for me. I need something a little bit closer to home. What can I line up to see if I'm really aiming for those things? And these two sight lines Jesus offers, and one of them is in verse 21. Here's the first sight line. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, if you want to know where your heart is, this is the most, e- this is one of the easiest verses in all of Scripture to understand. But I would say it's one of the most uncomfortable verses in all of Scripture. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know if your priorities are straight, if you want to know if God's first in your life, if you've got a Godward priority, if you're headed towards the right range marker, if you're not about ready to run aground, then you can go home, you can open up your checkbook, or you can go home and you can look at your tax statement, and you can see if you're giving in a way that's Godward. It's very concrete. It's not, oh, I don't know. It's right there on the line. You can follow the money trail to where your heart is. Our hearts always are going to follow our money. If you want to see your priorities, if you want to see what your heart says is important, you can walk down this well-marked trail of your money. So Jesus is saying, if you want to follow after me, if you want to have a heart that's following after me, and you don't know if it is, you can just go back and look at your checkbook. And if your checkbook says no, then the answer is no, you're not. I want to talk about this in three different ways because you may say, well, if I go back and look at my checkbook and I don't like what it tells me, (laughs) or if I go back and look at my tax return and I don't like what it tells me, and I would like to try to make some movement in that area, how can I I get that sight line moved back into the right position? And I would say the first thing you need to do is think of your giving in terms of the cross, Jesus says, we love because he first loved us. 
in the same way as with giving. The reason we could be generous givers is because he's been generous to us. So if you're somebody who, when you take out your money or you take out your checkbook and you just think, I can't let go of it. You're like Gollum. You look at it and you go, it's precious to me. And you just have this clenched fist then I don't want you to give because of what I'm saying. I want you to go and look at the cross and see how generous God has been. And then allow that generosity to affect your heart so that you're then able to open up your hand and be a generous giver. Real generosity comes from knowing God's generosity. And if you understand how much that he has given you and how much he has given me, then it's not going to be hard to be generous. But if you have a hard time understanding how generous he has been, you're going to have a very hard time being generous yourself. It comes from internal. When I was at Furman University, go Paladins, by the way, I worked at a steakhouse called the Peddler Steakhouse. And the best thing about working at the Peddler Steakhouse as a waiter is you walked home with cash. And you had about 80 bucks in your, wa- your pocket, right? And the great thing about having 80 bucks of cash in your pocket is then I walked back to Furman University and I was in love with this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. And what did I want to do? I wanted to spend that cash. And I wanted to spend it on her. And I wanted to spend it right away. Why? Because I just loved her. I thought she was terrific. I wish I had made a hundred bucks in cash. And we would have spent that. And we were never richer at that point in our relationship than any other time. It's not like quite like that today. Sorry to say. But you see what happened? I, I had the money... And and my motive was because I really loved my girlfriend who became my wife. And and I was excited about giving the money away and about spending it on her and having her as a priority. It wasn't a problem. I was motivated out of this heart condition. And when we become generous givers as Christians, it's really because you have a different kind of heart. Not because the pastor said so or someone in the where, where in the Bible is supposed to give 10% and I just sort of reluctantly do it. That's not the idea. The idea is to be affected by what God's done for you. And when you really understand the gravity and the magnity, mag, magnificence of what he's done, then you can open up your hand and you can be a generous giver. If you're here and you're somebody who's a visitor, I wouldn't want you to feel any obligation to give. Because my fear is that you might think, well, if I, get, if I give, the more I give, the more God likes me. And that's not true. That's not true. This is how much God likes you right here. It doesn't have anything to do with pieces of paper that you stick in a wicker basket. But because I understand this is how much God loves me, then I'm going to be more and more generous with my time, more and more generous with my talent, more and more generous with my possessions. Paul understands this when he says it, Philippians 3, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Why? 
because of Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to Christ. I consider all things rubbish that I might gain Christ. You see, that's his primary motive. Everything he does comes out of that spot. Jesus has done something for me. Therefore, I'm going to move out in response of that. So if you if you're, feel like I, I, don't, I don't have my sight lined up, I go back and I look at my checkbook and I don't feel like I'm a generous person. Or I see that I'm not and I'm uh, afraid that my heart might miss the whole treasure because I'm really not that way. Then the first thing that you need to do is to go back to the cross and ask yourself, do I know who Jesus is? Do, am I really in love with him? Am I giving out of a generous heart? And if you're here as you're somebody who doesn't know Christ, then what I would encourage you to do is after the service, just find me and say, hey, the first thing I need to do is understand who Jesus Christ is. Could you help me walk through that process? And I'll be happy to do that with you over the course of several weeks. We'll just read through parts of the Bible so you can understand who Jesus is as well. The second way to try to measure this as you look at trying to look at this first sight line about your money is look at verse... Um, at what, when Jesus says, do not, verse 19, do not. The first thing Jesus says in this sermon is you need to reverse course. You, you have a certain way of thinking. You have a certain way of acting. And he's trying to say, no, don't do that. You need to do this. You need to reverse course. And I would say a lot of us need to reverse course in our way that we think about our money. We need to train ourselves for a, a new habit. If you're uh, a dancer like my daughter and you're learning ballet and how to hold your hands or arms or move your legs, they, they actually put your arms in certain places and they say, no, it's, just, it, no, it's not like that, it's like this. And I won't try to do it for you because I haven't learned it. If you're a golfer, you'll have a coach look at you and you'll analyze your swing, and he'll say, no, 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 not right there. And he'll put something on your shoulder or hold you or do something and say, no, see, your, your natural inclination is to, to pull the club back too quickly. You need to swing it out, and it'll just be over and over and over, repetition after repetition, until you go to ballet or you go to the uh, practice tee, and it's the, what's the good thing is the normal thing. And so we have to reverse course. We've got a certain muscle memory that says, this is the way I think. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to turn around and think in a different way. And a lot of us think this. I need to establish my pattern for living before I establish my pattern for giving. We sit down and we think in our minds, this is how much it costs for me to live. Well, okay, here's what it is. And then, oh, well, this is what I've got left over, and so this is what I can give. You see, that's backwards. The first thing you need to do is say, I, I, I'm looking at the cross, and I want to establish a pattern for giving. And once I've established a pattern for giving, then I want to establish my pattern for living. And why is that? And everybody knows the answer. If I establish my pattern for living first, what's going to happen with all of my money? It's all going to be gone. I love myself. I really do. Love your neighbor as myself. I really love myself. I should love my neighbor a lot more. My neighbors are in here and they're going, yes, they should. He should. But you see, I could, I could, I could suck up all of my, my money in my living. 
So I've got to reestablish my thinking pattern and say, hey, the first thing I want to do is I want to establish a habit of giving. And once that's established, then I can live on what's left. God's not asking for it all in the sense that all of it has to come to the plate every Sunday. But I want to establish a habit habit of giving before I establish my habit for living. Or some of us think it's sort of in the same way. We, We think I live and then I save and then I give. I live and then I save and if I have anything left over, then I give. And that, that's a do not. Do not live that way. Turn around and live differently. I give, and then I save, and then I live. And my guess is that many people here would wish that they could do more for the kingdom of God. They hear some missionary come forward. You hear of a trying a trial in somebody's life it can be a neighbor or a friend and you and you think to yourself if i just had the money then i could give and my guess is that most of us really don't have the right priorities it's not that we don't have the money we really just don't have the right priorities and if we had different priorities then we'd have a different ability to enter in and to be generous givers. So we need to establish a a new pattern. Again, if we go home and we say, I just don't like how this sight line looks, and you need to establish a new pattern, then you need to break out of an old pattern and, and set a new pattern for your life. Here's one of the ways I did that for myself. In Deuteronomy... Um, God tells the people of God that he wants them to give from their first fruits. And if you know some about your Old Testament, you understand that, is that these people were agricultural people. They're growing their own food. And the winter time's over, and they're planting, and things are coming up, and you've gotten your first harvest. harvest. I mean, almost all plants are giving over a, a growing season. And what God says is, look, I know it's been a long winter, and you've run out of the canned goods and you're super hungry and this first fruit looks really good and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know what storm may come, what disease may hit your plant, but the first fruit that you pick off, I want you to give it to me. And then you can have the rest, whatever the vine grows, whatever the tree produces, you know, that's yours. But I I want you to establish this habit that you give first before you live. You see, that's a habit. That's a pattern that Jesus is trying to have in his people. And so that was the pattern of giving in the Old Testament. And I thought to myself last year, hey, I'm reading this, I'm... I'm feeling like God's moving in saying, Paul, think about this, think through this, not in a legalistic way, but hey, you need to break old habits. You're going one way and God wants you to go a different way in how you think about your money. How can I apply this to my life? And so last year about this time, or actually it was two years ago, I sat down and I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. January 1st, I'm going to calculate what I think, it's not very hard for me to calculate, what I'm going to make next year. So I calculated that, and then I I said, I want to give first. So on January the 1st, I wrote all my checks out for the whole year. 
all the money that I thought I was going to give, I took the percentage that I was shooting for, and on January the 1st, I wrote all my checks January 1st for that year. Well, first of all, that was a little scary. But, but past that little breaking of a bad habit and trying to establish a good habit, you know what was great about it? It was really fun. I don't write a lot of big checks. But when I got to January, it's okay to laugh, I understand that. <laughs> but on, on January 1st, I got to write a big check. And I was like, this is awesome, this is fun. I mean, I'm really going to make a contribution. And maybe I would have given the same amount over the whole year, but when I was giving it just on January 1st and I was going to give the whole amount, I was like, wow, this is, it's fun to be this kind of giver. And I think God just gave that to me as a gift. Saying, yes, Paul, it is. It is fun to be that kind of a gift. It's fun to be generous. The second thing is that what it did was it helped me be really engaged in my giving. I mean, because the pattern that I had established, I think, percentage-wise was fine for my family. But it sort of felt like a tax. I don't know if you felt this way in your giving. Well, okay, I've got $1,000 and... God gets the first hundred, so I got to... It just what there wasn't there wasn't real joy in it. It just became sort of, yeah, I got to do it, and I'm the pastor, and I got to preach on it, so I really got to do it. And it just it, it lost something. And I thought, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to. I want this feel of of generosity. I want to train my mind in a different way, saying I do want to be a generous person. I don't want to feel like it's some kind of tax. So I I gave all the money. January the 1st, I wrote all these checks to four or five different places, the church and other places that I give money to. It was so fun. And it just happens that year, the Phillips family made more money than they've ever made. And so I got to write checks later in the year. Now, I don't want you to take that as either a legalistic thing that you should, you must do that because the pastor gave that as an example. Or it's like a magic pill. If I give all my money, then this will be the year I make the most. It's not, that's not the way it works. Because sometimes you give your first fruits and the vine dies. But you see what? Worship is more important than your life. It's more important that you gave your first fruit than you ate. Because in the end, you're not going to eat. You're just going to have Jesus. So establishing a pattern. I don't know what it would be that God would put on your heart to say, hey, you need to establish. You've got a, a muscle memory that's wrong and you need to readjust that muscle memory and whatever that would be, sit down with your husband or wife or sit down with yourself and say, I, I need to think through, is, is my sight line ratcheted up? Am I really on for the, the kingdom of God first or am I on for myself? And so... You can think through how God may want you to do that. The other thing I want to mention just briefly here is that you're also supposed to do something. Not just do not lay up for yourselves treasures here, but you're supposed to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I think this is a little bit surprising here in verse 20, that God is asking you to store up things for yourself. Isn't that interesting? I want you to store things up. I want you to store up things for you. But I, I want you to store up things that have a longer 
trajectory than just a few years, not just 30 years, as Randy Alcorn would say, but 30 million years. Investing in things that are going to last forever. The Word of God is going to last forever. The people of God is going to last forever. Things that moth and rust or people could steal and destroy, those are not the investments. So do lay up for yourselves things that are going to last forever. And we want to ask ourselves, if God is going to return one day, and he is, and he's going to say, Paul, I gave you this amount of time. I gave you this amount of money. I gave you this amount of talent. Now, did you use it to make a name for yourself? Or did you use it to make a name for me? If you just average over 40 years, from age 25 to 65, making $35,000 a year. Some of you are going to average maybe a little bit less. Some of you would average certainly more. But if you just average $35,000 a year, over 40 years, God would have given you $1.4 million. It's all going to flow right through your hands. $1.4 million. And he's going to come back and say, Were all your best energies, did you have a Godward focus? How are you doing as his financial investor? Are you trying to make a name for yourself or are you trying to make a name for the Lord? The second sight line. Okay, the first sight line is the clear sight line. Let me just look at my money. It's like a clearly marked trail. It never leads you to someplace different. You look at your money, it leads right to where your heart is. And I've tried to give you some examples to say, if you feel like, hey, my sight line's off, here's what I can do to, to reorient my sight line. And the second thing, the second sight line is don't be anxious. So the marker is the kingdom of God. We've got the first sight line is money, and the second sight line is emotions. Don't be anxious. You see it in verse 25 and 28 and 31. And I just want to say briefly, God is in control. Verse 26, 28. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious because anxiety doesn't accomplish anything. Verse 27. You can't add or subtract anything by your anxiety. Verse 25. Don't be anxious because your life is more than food and your body or, or your body or clothing. Verse 31 and 32, don't be anxious because anxiety ruins your witness. I mean, if you're anxious about money and you're a Christian, then the people who aren't Christians are looking at you and say, well, you know, he's no different. He trusts in God. He's got the same, same anxiety. So don't be anxious. But my guess is that you could go home and say, okay, Paul told me not to be anxious, or it looks like Jesus is saying don't be anxious. And, I, and he is... But I, I'm afraid that you would go home and just say, okay, don't be anxious. Don't, I'm anxious, but don't, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And I don't think you're going to get very far on that sight line. Because if you're in financial troubles, just saying don't be anxious, don't be anxious doesn't calm your anxiety in case you haven't noticed. Not being anxious about your money for most of us is doing something different with our money. In Proverbs 24, it says this, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms shall be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. 
And many of us have constructed a financial house that was not built, built in wisdom or understanding. And if you've built a financial house that's not built in wisdom and understanding, then you're going to be anxious. And going home and just saying, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, is not going to change it. You've got to go back and say, I've done some things that are stupid. And I need to build a different kind of foundation here in which to stand. And a lot of homes are not very pleasant because they haven't been built with the right foundation. You can go in and you can feel it immediately because their possessions have begun to possess them.